And welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is Yavis Jurchevich. Uh, today I've got John Meese with me. John, uh, introduce yourself to the folks listening at home. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, and uh, I'd be happy to. So, like you mentioned, my name is John. I'm John Meese. I um, so I'm the dean of Platinum University, um, where I lead a team focused on simplifying online marketing for professionals, and actually run three different businesses. So one of those is Platinum University. Another one is my own personal blog, and then I also just opened a co-working space walking distance from my house a week ago. So that's the third business. Uh, and with each business, we've also done a bundle deal and got a kid. So I've got three boys and three businesses. And uh, <laughs> uh, each, I mean, look, at the same time, I'm not saying it's a strategy. I'm just saying it's what we've done. But we've done have a baby, have a business three times in a row. And uh, I'm really passionate about entrepreneurs and busy professionals. And you're really just teaching them how to systemize their business and build and build an engaged online audience to simplify online marketing. So um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I'm, I live in Columbia, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. I've never heard somebody call it a bundle deal. That's, pr- that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, all right. So a lot to unpack there. A lot of fun stuff. So you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, Thank you. But I guess one of my gluten first free questions. Cereal. Yeah. What'd you say? Gluten-free cereal? Yeah, gluten-free cereal. <laughs> a gluten-free cereal entrepreneur. Okay. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned is that you have one of your businesses is a blog. And I understand what you're talking about, but a lot of folks listening may have no clue how a blog could be a business. So totally. uh, I actually wanted to get somebody on that could talk about that. And it just so happens you've you've got some expertise in that. So so give us the breakdown. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, essentially, a blog is – and it could be a blog. It could be a podcast like this. It could be a vlog. But um, that's actually – all the way talk about it, Platform University, the whole idea of having a platform online that it used to be a long time ago before the internet, if you can remember. Um, well, even before like newspapers or TV, it used to be at a certain point in time, if you wanted to get heard, like let's just say you were in a big crowd of people and there's a lot of conversation going on, but you want to get some attention, you would literally take a platform, like a giant box of wood and you would set it down. This is actually where the term on a soapbox came from. So you would set down a soapbox and then you would stand on top of it. Now, all of a sudden, you're just a little bit taller than everybody else. Everyone looks over. You have their attention. And it gives you a chance to share whatever it is you're going to say. Uh, and so the reality is that still works. It's just the platform has changed. Instead of an empty uh, wooden soapbox, today's platform is a digital platform in the form of you know, a website, a blog, a podcast, or a vlog, whatever the medium is. It's really the idea of having some place where people can see you and see that you stand out a little bit and that you have something useful to say. Um, now then, of course, to keep their attention, you have to actually have something useful to say. Uh, but that's kind yeah. of where it starts. So yeah, so my blog, I started years ago. I guess I should probably know when, but at this point, it's just a part of me. So it's been probably almost 10 years that I've had my blog now. And at first, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just writing about random things. Um, and over time, I really built mm-hmm. I built an audience of people who appreciated my perspective. And I started focusing more on um, systemizing success for entrepreneurs. Um, systems come very naturally to me. I'm an operations systems guy, um, but with an act for marketing. And so I, I kind of combine process and profit. And um, that just so was something that came very naturally to me that people were really hungry for. I didn't, at the time, it didn't seem special to me. I was like, well, yeah, of course I, you know, can see steps one, two, three to make a, to make money from your business. But people started following that and saying that they were using that on their own. And so I launched courses and coaching services and recommended products through affiliate income through my blog. And so for a period of about two years, my blog was actually my only business. And we not only supported our family with that, but also 
I was able to bring my wife home uh, from her job as a teacher. So we were living off of my blog and with a newborn, with a first son, um, where the two of us were just doing that. So um, yeah, that's how I got started. And t- started an online business really was just learning things the hard way and figuring out as I went. Um, but that's what ultimately led me to where I am today. So I can talk more about that, but kind of like pausing for a second. That's, I guess, a summary of kind of where we got, where we are. Sorry, I th- for everybody listening, I don't know if I'll be able to edit this out, but both of us, I'm pretty sure, just got an Amber Alert on our yes, phones. Yes, we did. So, sorry, everybody, but uh, if there's one thing I'm okay with getting disrupted with, it's an Amber Alert. Yes. So, um, so that's super interesting. So, I really, really, really want to dive into this, this very specific thing you just said. You not only were able to live off of it, but you, uh, your wife got to stay at home after you guys had your first child mm-hmm. simply off of the revenue of the blog. How does a blog make money? Well, there are a lot of different ways. I mean, the first thing is it comes back to the way entrepreneurship works in general, which is what an entrepreneur, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, an entrepreneur is somebody who starts a business. Well, no, really. And a business is just sort of how you do it. An entrepreneur is someone mm-hmm. who solves a problem, and it's a real problem that real people have. Now, if you go out there and you find that problem and you solve it, if it's an important enough problem, people will pay you for the solution. And so that's true for any business. Now, it happens to be with my blog, the way that I did that. And now this is what we teach, by the way, with Platform University. This is what we teach people how to do is um, I identified these problems and started creating solutions. So people were really overwhelmed with how to get set up with, just use one example, email marketing software of saying like, oh my gosh, I I know I need, I need an email list, but is that just like the contacts in my you know Gmail account? Like I don't really understand this. And and I was able to come in and say, okay, well, there's this at the time it was a new software called ConvertKit. And I could come in and create this training course where I said, okay, let me walk you through how to set this up where you can really pull off professional email marketing at scale that grows your business without knowing anything about technology. And it's just, you know, step by step by step. And so people would pay me for that course. And there was really actually two ways I made revenue from that one course. People would pay me money to buy that video. And by that, I mean like it's a video on-demand course. So people would watch a video tutorials and follow along. So I recorded one. They would watch the video tutorial. Okay. But along the way, if they created a new ConvertKit account because they didn't already have one, then they would actually use my affiliate link so that I got a commission off of their uh, off of them signing up for ConvertKit. Now, we didn't really talk too much about the middle between like when I started my blog and where we're at today, but... When I became fully focused on Platform University, I actually stopped selling courses and coaching programs through my own blog. But to this day, I make $1,000 a month on average, and I haven't promoted anything through my blog in three years, just off of that residual affiliate income. Hmm. Um, Yeah, so like I just like every month, it just keeps coming in. And I haven't promoted anything there in over three years. So at the time when I was promoting things actively, of course, I made more than that. But that's pretty cool for... Not, not doing anything over the last three years. I mean, yeah, I have blogs and things like that, but no product promotions. Interesting. So I understand affiliate, and by the way, affiliate link, basically some you link something to your on your blog, they go to that, they sign up, it comes back to you, the company pays you a commission on it, like a, a fee basically yes. for, for leading them to that product. But how did you actually grow the audience itself? Because also elaborate on like, what is a good blog audience? Numbers wise, what does that even mean? Sure. Well, I can I can talk more about what I did, but I think that now that I have, uh, I mean, now that I have years of experience under my belt in terms of how to do this and teach people how to do this, I think it might be more helpful to talk about what I see is working today. Because um, I think it. the short answer of what I did before was I just kind of, I tried a bunch of things and some of them worked. <laughs> and so <laughs> and it was pretty messy. Um, yeah. 
So that's kind of like how I got to where I am today. And now I can be like, okay, I see the shortcut. I didn't have to actually go around the mountain. We could have just gone straight up. Um, so that if that's okay with you, I'd love to talk about that for a minute. Does that work? Yeah, no, put it down. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing you really need to do when you're building a platform online is you have to get clear in your brand identity. Now, this doesn't really mean like the colors on your website. Those are cool and helpful, but only if they, that, that's not really what I mean at all. It's, it's also not your logo. Your brand identity is essentially who you are and who you help. Now, the reality is when you're building a personal platform online, like mine is johnneese.com. When you're building your name online, you want to reflect your personality well, but here's the thing. Your entire life, you've gotten a chance to practice one-on-one conversations with people where you present a slightly different version of your personality depending upon who you're talking to. So your personality is very deep. It's very complex. It's all over the place. And so when you're um, talking to different people, you might highlight a different story. Like you might mention the story about um, your first date uh, with your now wife, or you might mention the story about uh, when your son was born. You might mention the story of when you graduated college. And all those stories really vary based on who you're talking to and how you relate to them. The problem with that is actually really good for one-to-one interaction. But when you're online, that can become really overwhelming if you try to share the complete version of who you are online. Because most people are on your website, you've got maybe 30 seconds to really grab their attention. So with your brand identity, the first thing you need to do is you need to narrow your focus in terms of who you are and how you help people online. And um, the first thing that that comes back to, like I mentioned earlier about entrepreneurship, is just figure out what's the problem that you're solving. I mean, and who has that problem? And so um, once you get clarity on that, sure, there are lots of other marketing strategies we can talk about. But once you get clarity on that, everything becomes easier because once you know who you're trying to help, then the next question is, okay, well, where are they right now? I mean, how do you get in front of them? Um, And so sometimes the answer is a Facebook group. Sometimes the answer is an Instagram profile or a hashtag. Sometimes the answer is a LinkedIn page. Sometimes the the answer is a meetup, like a local meetup. Hmm. Um, The answer changes a lot based on who your target audience is. But your goal should always be to figure out who your audience is, how you can help them. Uh, and then to back up from there and say, where are they and how do I connect with them? And so you want to meet them where they are and then bring them back, not just to your website, but actually to your email list. Um, and that's, it's, it's a kind of an archaic technology now. People have been using email marketing to run online businesses for more than two decades. So it's not as exciting as TikTok or Instagram stories, um, but it works. Email marketing is really what drives sales and results. And every study that's been done that compares the effect of the results of Email marketing versus social media shows that social media, it looks like like everybody runs their business on social media because that's all that you can see, right? Like when you look around at other people who have blogs or podcasts, or maybe they have a brick and mortar business like a coffee shop, all you can see online is you're like, wow, they post a lot of stuff on social media and they seem to be doing pretty well. So it must be because of social media. But what you can't see are how many people bought products because of an email they sent to their list or how many people searched for them on Google and found them. And or how many people were were talking to a friend and their friend said, you know what, you should check out this coffee shop. And those are all of the invisible things that actually drive the success of businesses today. Social media is very loud and noisy. And so it seems like it's really the only way to get noticed online, but it's actually one of the least effective. Because it is so no- noisy. Because it is so noisy. Well, and just because it's, I mean, it's literally like walking into a crowded coffee shop and sitting down at, sitting down at a table. And just sort of like saying, not shouting, but just saying while everyone around you is talking like, hey, I have something cool. Do you want to come check it out? And like nobody comes over because they're already in their own conversations, right? 
It's just like that's what that's how most people approach social media is they go to a crowded coffee shop, say Facebook, a crowded coffee shop where everyone's involved in conversations with their friends and their family. And then somebody walks in, they sit alone at a table and they start muttering to themselves audibly, but just really barely audibly about all the cool things that they're saying, like, well, here's all the cool things I'm doing. You should pay attention. And if anybody looks over at them, it's really just to be like, what is that person doing? Are they talking to themselves? Like, what is happening right now? And so instead, you want to find out what conversations are already happening on, happening online, where are they happening, and how can you join that conversation? How can you become part of that conversation? And then, sure, you want to say like, hey, come back to my place, you know, send it from my email list. I'd love to send you some, some free resources on this topic. Um, but that's really what it comes down to is how do you join the conversation that's already happening and then build your email list. So interesting. You know what book I'm reading right now and you're making me think of it? What's that? Uh, four hour work week. Oh, yeah. Good old Tim. I know. And I, I was told for years I should read it and it just kept getting put on the back burner over and over again. And I'm literally right now, I'm looking at it on my desk as I'm recording. I think I'm on page like 110. Oh, wow. So, and I know four hour work week came out like 12 years ago. So a, a lot of it's just a different conversation, but the mindset behind it, you're really making me think of it. Totally. A lot of the tactics have changed, but that's actually one of the things we focus on in Platform University because Platform University itself as a membership site has been around for more than six years, which in internet marketing is like a century. And so um, we focus a lot on what are the things that actually like, what not like, not like the latest trendy thing, like the fact that Musical.ly is now TikTok and you can go viral. We don't really focus on that. Instead, we focus on what are the foundational tactics for growing your audience online that really stay with you, that really stick around and work from year to year to year. Um, so that's one of the things that sets us apart. So interesting. So I don't have a TikTok profile. You don't have a TikTok profile? No, my 13-year-old sister does, and it makes total sense. Yeah. And occasionally she sends me video clips, and it's hilarious, but at the end. Yeah. All while the Chinese government's gathering all that information. <laughs> yes, no comment. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I've got a podcast. I'm sure I'm on some list. What was I going to say? Oh, so I, I wanted to uh, touch on something else that you and I talked about when we originally spoke. You've talked a lot about living intentionally in that phone call. Yes. You know, I think you said you don't have internet at your house. A couple of different things. So, so talk to me a little bit about that because you are this individual where you've got this public persona and this profile and one of the pictures on your website is you giving some sort of keynote speech, um, et cetera. So how does that all work together into that living intention? Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've never been, I mean, I just, I just think that we're, time is so precious and the life we're given is so precious. And so um, it'd be so easy to just kind of drift through life. And I think a lot of people do that. They just kind of drift. Like they just do the next thing because it's the next thing. And I've never been that way from a young age, for whatever reason, I just became very driven. And so one of the ways that plays out in my current life and that, that I'm a busy entrepreneur, but also married to the love of my life. I mean, she's my high school sweetheart. Well, she's my high school crush. We didn't actually date until after high school, but um Let's let's be. I'll be fair. Uh, but so, like, I'm married to the love of my life, and I have three adorable little children. A lot of my family lives locally. My dad's dealing with his is now in his third year of dealing with stage four lymphoma cancer, and so like all of these things have really brought mortality front and like time mm. to be the most valuable, precious resource. That right now, while I'm talking to you, and while anybody who's listening to this podcast, the moment that I'm recording this is a trade-off. This is where I'm choosing to be. And by choosing to be here, I'm choosing not to be with my wife and kids. And so there has to be a reason. So there has to be a reason for everything that I do. And so mm -hmm. um, this is this is always on my mind. This is always on my mind. But if, um, once a quarter, every three months, my wife and I go on a little quarterly offsite retreat. And we just kind of 
think about it like working on your life instead of working in your life. Kind of like the Michael Gerber from Emith has this quote about working on your business instead of working in your business. So we kind of work on our life where we kind of like back up. We literally go off site to like an Airbnb somewhere we've never been. And we just lock ourselves in a room and talk about life and say like, okay, well, what's, what's working? What's not working? And the middle of last year, we went on a quarterly retreat when we just felt like we listed, okay, what are all the things we wish we could spend more time doing? And the list was things like, man, I really wish I spent more time writing or reading, or I wish I might spend more time hanging out with friends or going on a one-on-one dates with our kids or with each other and just spending time with each other, looking each other in the eyes. And we listed all of these things, I mean, or prayer and reflection. And as we listed all of these things and we said, okay, well, those are actually all free, right? All of those things are freely available. So why are we not doing that? And it, and it came back to, well, we don't have enough time. Well, why don't we have enough time? What are we actually spending our time on? And the answer was things like Netflix and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And that just, that all of a sudden, once you, once you write that out, it's horrible. When you look at it, I would look at that. You're just like, how, why am I making this trade-off? Why am I choosing to watch a funny Instagram story instead of to hear my two-year-old's hilarious joke? And the answer was because it's easy, because it's right there. And so I did a couple of things immediately as soon as we got back from that retreat. We got rid of internet at home. So I work off a laptop remotely. Like I, my, all three of the businesses that I'm involved with, I operate off of a computer. So that's crazy, right? I'm an internet entrepreneur with no internet. And at first that meant that I was working at coffee shops. And then that also meant that inspired me to open my own co-working space because I was like, well, I need this. I bet you there are other people that do too. And so now I'm sitting in my co-working space that I opened a week ago called Cowork Columbia. And um, so that inspired that. But another thing that I did was I actually, I went ahead and that was like the first change. And about three months later, I realized that I was still wasting a ton of time just on my smartphone. Just the difference was we didn't have internet. So I was using a lot more data. And so I actually got rid of my smartphone and instead I switched to what's called the light phone or the light phone two. Um, it's sort of, you've probably heard of it, but it's like a smartphone without the fancy, without apps. I mean, without, without social media, without internet. And it's been a game changer. It's been, I just feel like I've been, it's been intentional inconvenience because it is inconvenient, but it's so good. So, so let me ask you about that. So you've switched away. I've actually thought about doing like a podcast series of Yavitsa gets rid of a smartphone for some time period yeah. of time, uh, just, and just do like updates, be like, how has my life changed? Uh, but we've got somebody who's done it. So how has your life changed? I know you mentioned it's inconvenient, but man, oh man, the smartphone has become basically an extension of the human being mm-hmm. in 2020. Talk to us about that. Well, the first thing I had to do was really own that it was intentional inconvenience because the first couple of days that I was using the light phone instead of a, a smartphone, which for those of you anybody that hasn't heard of it, the light phone is kind of like, I mean, it's basically just like a smart dumb phone. Like there's no apps. You can text and make phone calls. Um, technically it does have Bluetooth for like headphones and it's a 4G connection. So you can have like a really high quality phone call, but it's still like basically calls and texts. So right away it was kind of inconvenient. And actually um, because it's like an e-ink screen, like a Kindle or a Nook where it looks kind of like a book, um, they, uh, I can't get photos. So that's been actually the most inconvenient thing because someone will send me a picture and I'll just get a little icon I'll text them back and be like, oh, actually, I don't know what that said, you know. So that started a lot of conversations, but it's just been inconvenient. But I just had to own that and said, you know what? Everything you do is a trade-off. And so the trade-off I'm making is that this is intentional inconvenience so I can be more present in the moment. And so because of that, I've been able to spend more time with my kids and spend more time with my wife and be present. It also means I'm suddenly way more aware to how distracted everyone else is. I mean, I will be done with work and, you know, maybe I'm going to lunch with a friend and every spare moment they're like oh yeah let me leave a review on google or let me just like check instagram or post a story about this or let me um 
And I'll tell you, one of the first things that happened was I realized that when I go, well, this happened before then. So we skipped the part where I delete all my social media accounts. We, we skipped that part. But this was, a, yeah, sorry, my bad. We skipped that. But that was the first thing I did before we got rid of internet. And right away, I realized that what happened was right after I deleted all of my social media accounts, I went I went to a conference. I went to FlynnCon, Pat Flynn's conference in San Diego. Um, and he's a friend, but it was also a lot of speakers there that I was excited to learn from. And I was sitting in the audience, just soaking it all in and taking notes in my planner. And I looked around and like everyone around me, like someone on stage would say something that was like, it was just a zinger. They said something and you were like, oh, that's good. And I would, and, and I would just say that. I was like, oh, that's good. And around me, everyone would scramble to grab their phones and quote it and put, post it on Twitter or Instagram. And I realized that I was accidentally more present just because I had nowhere to post it. Like I was just, I was just soaking in and taking notes for my mm. own benefit instead of figuring out how can I get more likes and shares off of what I'm experiencing in this moment. So um, in a world of being a millennial and a millennial dad with busy businesses and, um, and internet stuff, like I'm always thinking, how can I be more present? I mean, how can I really be in this moment? And um, that's been the biggest change. It's just, it's made it easier. It's, it's almost, I mean, it's like literally when I have that urge to go get distracted, you know, you're like, you're like, this is kind of boring. Well, when was the last time you felt boring and didn't do something about it immediately? When was, the, when was the last time you just felt the boringness for a minute and then started observing your surroundings? Intentionally thought, what should I fill the space with? Um, you don't really get bored for very long in today's world because there's always a distraction of, you know, just one scroll away in this supercomputer you keep in your pocket. Yeah, it's it, that's a good description as a supercomputer in your pocket. I mean, it's it's a massive amount of power and a massive amount of information that you can gather within it. Totally. Well, and if I can add to that, one thing that really struck me that I think this probably set me on this path a couple of years ago was um, I used to go visit this monastery, this Eastern Orthodox monastery in Wayne, West Virginia called the Hermitage of the mm -hmm. Holy Cross. I used to go visit that monastery every year. Now, um, I plan to go back this year, but I haven't been back since we had little kids. Uh, but one of the things that struck me is you walk through this beautiful facility and they've got this library and right off the library, there's this door that looks like something out of a horror movie because surrounding the door etched in charcoal on the door frame are dozens of these little crosses. Like there's little, there's like a little cross. Just imagine like it's a white door frame and there's a black charcoal cross drawn you know, 20 times in the left and then all across the top and then down, the, you know, again on the other side. And so mm -hmm. you walk by and you're like, whoa, what do they keep in there? I mean, this is a monastery, so I don't really know kind of like how deep this goes. Well, one time I was walking through the library, knew where that room is, when one of the monks there stopped in front of the door, prostrated, so he bowed down to the floor and crossed himself, stood back up and opened the door to walk in to work at the computer in front of him. In that, that was the computer room. That's what it was. And so his obedience, I found out later, that's what they call it, like your assignment. His obedience is that he was the webmaster. And so his, like his spiritual father told him, like, you must go into the room protected by all of the evil crosses, the crosses to keep away the evil one and connect to the outer world and manage our website so we can sell candles. Wow. Yes. You and I, we carry that around in our pockets all day without, little, without crosses surrounding our pockets. Wow. That is incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which makes me not wonder... I've visited several monasteries and now I'm like, oh, where did they keep the computer room? Like, I need to go find it now. <laughs> you can start looking for a trail of charcoal crosses. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but it's so true. Like, it's every temptation on God's green earth is within your pocket. Yep. Um, good and bad. And, um, you know, part of the cool part about the internet, it's allowed for you to have a career and a job and, and to provide for your family in a very unorthodox manner. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that wouldn't have been possible 25 years ago. Totally. Bad part. Bad part about the internet is nobody's actually living life anymore. Yeah. Well, the internet's a tool, and just like any other tool, it's you know it it can be good or bad depending upon how you use it. Well, maybe not like any other tool. There's some yeah, tools hammer. that are mostly bad, but in this example, yeah. Um, well, but a, a hammer can be used to hammer in a nail to build a shelf, or it can be used to you know smash someone's head. This in. is true. I have heard. That. I've heard. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay well i mean but so uh, and sorry i didn't mean to cut you off earlier with the with the hammer comment oh, no, i feel good. like you were you're still good. going on you probably um, sometimes should cut me off that's probably for everyone <laughs> hey i tell everybody so people are always like so what is it like like uh doing a podcast blah 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 and i'm like well really you know i'm kind of like the director the person i'm interviewing is um he writes the he or she writes the the screenplay and then they're also the actor and I just have to make sure that somehow within a format that is uh, that can be consumed by somebody listening, that it'll make sense. That's good. Well, you've already done a good job about asking me about things that I care about. And so I I, I already, just, I think, stepped up on my soapbox a couple times. So Oh, no, uh, the soapbox is awesome. I'm all about the soapbox. But so it, let's let's keep digging a little deeper. The the whole aspect, sure. again, as I'm looking at 4-Hour Weekend and, and the cover has him on a, on a hammock between two palm trees. Um, the idea of working independently of not being what I call, you know, a slave to the nine to five to the corporate gig mm. in America, that's really been shoved down our, our throats for, you know, it was first the factories, then corporate America, totally. but, um, it used to be the, the te- used to be the, uh, what was it? The seven to six or the seven to seven. That's right. Yeah, it used yeah. to be the seven, yeah, the, the seven to seven, six days a week. Yeah. So, the, so the whole concept, the thing that I try to unplug people from the matrix per se is the whole idea of having to find a job, having to work nine to five, you know, defer your entire entire life until you're 65. And then you're walking on a beach with kidney, kidney issues and kidney failure. That's when you're going to enjoy life, right? <laughs> uh, defer your entire existence until it's too late. What are some of the things that you've noticed that you've been teaching that, that has been working? Cause it seems like within our generation, there's more of that want, not for maybe a lot of money, but just for ultimate independence, freedom, and just the, the power to control your life. Yeah. Well, I think I want to come back to something I mentioned earlier about finding a problem to solve that people care about. And that's, I mean, that's really the crux of everything, but what's changed today is not that there are problems that need solving. There's always been problems, but now what's changed is that your ability to solve those problems on a global scale in other words, even if the problem is a very is a problem that affects a very small percentage of the population, that you can actually reach all of those people. It used to be that if you were, uh, let me think of an example here. Um, let's just say that you, you know, a hundred years ago, had come up with a cure for celiac disease. Well, if you had a cure for the celiac disease and you walked around in your village and knocked on doors, you might find out that there's two people in your entire town who have celiac disease. Well, that's not a very good business. And so you would actually then try to sell it to them. And maybe you made a couple of sales, um, but it's really hard to run your whole business off of two customers. So then you might go to you know, some sort of national distributor or organization that can, that's already got this massive you know, system set up and say, hey, could you promote this all over the place? And they'll say, yeah, but we're going to take 60% of the proceeds and then we're not going to guarantee any results. And so um, that's if you got a good deal. And uh, so that used to be like the way to grow a business globally if you had a niche audience. But now if say you're telling people, hey, I want to help you enjoy your life. If you have celiac disease, learn how to eat. I mean, if those of you that don't know, that's sort of like the more serious version of being gluten-free. It's like life threat. And so um, I can teach you how to enjoy. And we had a Platform University student, uh, Tracy, who did this, where she had this whole blog around the idea of enjoying food again. 
And and she was able to reach this audience that, you know, there might only be two people in her hometown, but there's there are hundreds of thousands of people with that problem all over the world. And so she could grow this audience um, and serve them. Um, and so that's the thing I would say is get clear on what problem you solve and get niche, get narrow um, because you you want to differentiate yourself um, because there's so many other people. Everybody has a platform. So that's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say, this is one of the first things we teach inside of Platform University is that there are three ways to establish your expertise in an industry because, I mean, this podcast is for millennials, right? And so most of us are in our you know 20s or maybe our 30s. And we don't actually have a ton of experience in most industries. <laughs> there are a lot of industries where you really have to have 20 years of experience before you can be considered the expert. Well, what we found is that there are three different ways to approach expertise with your online platform that work really well. The first is probably what you think of when you think of an expert, which is known as the sage. Now, the sage has a third-party endorsement of their success so or their expertise. So it could be that they have a PhD. Um, or maybe they're they're a, literally a doctor, or it could be that they won the Nobel Prize in their industry, or it could be they're a New York Times bestselling author. But there's some sort of third party endorsement of their expertise that makes it clear this is the sage. Now, when you're building an audience as a sage, you can kind of just like say things and leave them like you, you can say like this is the truth. Period. End of story. And people just accept it. Um, but it takes a lot of time and effort and work to get to that level. Thankfully, that's not the only way to teach people online. The two other platform personalities that are that have been proven successful time and time again are uh, the Sherpa. Now, the Sherpa is how I, I mean, I'm kind of like behind the curtain. You can now I'm laying you behind the curtain so you can see how I already talk this way as a Sherpa. But the Sherpa is someone who's climbed the mountain and then is coming back down to say, hey, here's how you can follow me to climb the mountain. And so this is someone like me who said like, look, I figured it all out the hard way. I just kind of like did trial and error, but now I've figured out the shortcut. I mean, I literally used the mountain metaphor earlier to say like, you can just go straight up the mountain. I want to teach you how to get climb up the mountain. So that's the Sherpa. So if you figure something out the hard way, that's a really easy way to share your expertise is just speaking as a Sherpa in your whatever content medium that is. And the third is that of the struggler. Now the struggler, so that's the sage, the Sherpa and the struggler. The struggler um, I love, and it's where you can basic, what you can do is you can present yourself as saying, look, here's what I'm working on right now. Would you join me? We're in this together. And it becomes a very, like a, you become just essentially the rallying point at the center of a tribal problem. Um, and so that, that's, I mean, that's the third way that you can grow your expertise. So even if you're new to a specific industry, like you may say like, look, well, come think of it. I like John's idea. I want to teach celiacs how to enjoy food again, but uh, I just got diagnosed with celiac disease last week. Okay, well, then you're probably not a Sherpa or a sage yet, but you could be the struggler and you can just share your journey as you're going through it and say, here's what I'm learning right now. And people rally to that. People crave that authenticity today. So the first thing I would say is just get clear what problem you solve and then how you're going to present yourself as either a sage, a Sherpa, or a struggler in solving that problem for your audience. And then just start creating solutions. I, th I think it's interesting what obviously tying all that together, but what also you said about getting a niche, like getting detailed on something that's mm -hmm. very different than it used to be back in the day. Back in the day, you wanted to appeal to as many people as possible. Yes. As broad of an audience as possible. Now you want to appeal to a very specific audience because it is so noisy and lied, lied, loud out there. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it used to be that the only way you could succeed in business and on like a, you know, multi-million dollar scale or multi-billion dollar scale was if you had a product with universal appeal. But now there are so many things with universal appeal that we all kind of roll our eyes. And instead, you want to find out. I mean, everyone loves to know that you've created a product just for them, where they feel like, wait, that's me. Mm -hmm. 
that's I'm that's for me. That solves my problem. And so it it allows you to help people feel special, but it means also to solve real problems because you can get more granular instead of just having well, so universities are a great example of a solution, a very global solution to a need, which is like we need to learn things. <laughs> yes. Universities are like, great, you could have you could have a marketing degree. Well, marketing what? I mean, uh, like you just you learn so much generic content in college that it's really hard to apply it to a specific situation. You have to do the extra work yourself or go on to some sort of graduate program that has a specialization to be able to actually apply what you learn in college today. Um, so yeah, that's a great example of like a product that's created to that's a very general universal need, but doesn't actually solve our very specific problems. Yeah. You think you'll ever go back to, to social media and smartphones and things like that again as a, as a detoxed human being? <laughs> um, probably not smartphones. It'd be really hard to convince me to go back now. Um, social media, I'm already using strategically, essentially like through a team mm -hmm. where I've realized like I'm not against social media across the board. I'm against social media without a strategy. So mm -hmm. actually the main reason why I deleted my own social media accounts is actually because I enjoy social media. I mean, it's literally like me saying like, I like this. It's distracting. I like it too much, in fact, to limit myself. And so I'm just going to, eradicate the opportunity um, because I have so many other important things that I want to do. And by the way, since I deleted my social media accounts, I've written a lot more and I spent a lot more time with my family. And so that's been really special. And ultimately I just launched a third business. I mean, that would not have been possible a year ago. Um, so social media, like right now, Cowork Columbia has an Instagram account, but what I've done is basically I've said, Hey, Rachel, my wife, um, you really enjoy Instagram. Let's find a way to make that into a business plan. Well, she's the community manager here at our co-working space. So she runs the account. And then we also have a retail manager who submits content to the Instagram profile as well. Now, I was a little hesitant at first because I know that email marketing is more effective to for actually generating sales than social media. But we created the account and we live in a small town where everybody started sharing it with each other. And we got over 200 followers like immediately on that account without any sort of advertisement. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay. I mean, these are engaged people who are like responding to stories and like super commenting. It's a way for them to feel like they're part they're part of what's going on. So I love that. And then we still have an email list that's our primary sales engine. So um, as far as social media for personal entertainment, no, I'd rather go down to you know a microbrewery or a you know a coffee shop or a lounge near where I live and sit down with a friend and have a real conversation. I really, I genuinely do not. I don't feel, and I, I really struggle to believe that anybody does. I don't feel depth in social media conversations. Uh, it's all very surface level um, and mm -hmm. it's filtered. And I'd rather live life with people that I know. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, I know we're running up on time here because uh, we've got a hard stop here at 2 p.m. But um, I wanted to give you the last question that I always ask folks. So for you, John, if you could go back to 18-year-old you, all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, knowing all that you know about yourself at this point and knowing all that you know in general, What's one piece of advice you would give yourself if you could go back and, and talk to yourself at 18? Macro dream, micro execute. Mm, elaborate. And you're like, you're like, John, what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> I mean? Even old me, John, like, you know, when I was 18, it would be like, John, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, I just, I, this is something I've really only stumbled upon in the last year, but it's really fired me up in so many ways, is it that you really do have to dream big. You have to macro dream. You have to dream big and bold that you will have these you know, earth shattering changes to your life and your business and your, and your family and your church and all those good things. Um, because that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what inspires you to move forward in the midst of anything that is difficult. But if you have big dreams where most people get stuck when they try and they go to create a vision board or to create some sort of massive big dream or mission statement, you know, if your mission is like to change the world in some way, like my personal mission is to eradicate poverty. 
whoa, that's huge. Okay, so that's exciting on one hand, but then as soon as you turn around, you say, okay, where do I start? Your brain explodes in overwhelm because you're like, there's too many things. There are, there are way too many things to do. So I think it's important that you do need a macro dream, but you also need to micro execute. And that's where you just say, look, here's the big, bold dream. And now I'm going to focus on the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And you just keep micro executing and focusing on what is the next thing I can do to move me in the right direction. And you will see massive change. I mean, you just, it's, you'll actually have to come up for air every periodically and look back and see how far you've come. Because when you're focused on the micro execution, it's really hard to see your progress, right? You're just like focusing on the next thing one at a time. It's really hard to see that you actually made progress. But when you back up and look at the big picture and you realize how much, how far you've come, you know, it's, it's exciting. And so that's, that's what I would tell myself. And that's what I'm still telling myself today is to macro dream and micro execute. I love it. I love it. That's a nice little, uh, little phrase. I'm going to hijack Thanks. it. So it also, I have an economics degree, so macro and micro, I had to, I had to find some way to repurpose those terms. I love it. I, hey, that, that's what my major was in. So you just repurposed it for me. Oh, good. John, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'll obviously link all your social, well, not your social media, but your, 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 your businesses, medias and your website and all the different things and different ways that people can get a hold of you uh, within the show notes. Uh, is there any final words you'd like to share? Any sales pitch, anything at all? It's completely uh, open, open floor at the moment. No, I mean, if you, if you enjoyed the things that I'm talking about today and you want to take the conversation further, then I would say go to johnmeese.com and um, start a conversation. I'd love to get to know you. Um, you can subscribe or follow along and really just like follow that conversation. If you're interested in building a platform yourself so you can have a blog, a vlog, or podcast and make a living off of that, definitely join the waiting list for Platform University. We're opening enrollment uh, in March. And so that's going to be uh, a fun time. So I think that's that's all I would say there. And then just keep being intentional. I mean, just like that whole idea of saying like, don't do things by accident, you know, do think, live life on purpose because you only have one, um, unless you're a cat, in which case I'm allergic to you. Um, and so <laughs> you only have one life. Uh, so please, you know, use it wisely. I mean, act like it, act like you only have one today. That is awesome. Well, John, again, thank you. This was a great episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, for everybody listening, Obviously, if you want to get a hold of us, info at mmcip.co, or you can always go to mmcip.co in general, blogs up, podcast. Uh, if you've got people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. If you've got constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain. you got to offer a solution. Info at mmcip.co. And outside of that, we'll talk to you guys soon.